most of you know, we've been going through the, the, gospel, the gospel of John over the last uh, several weeks. And we've already heard that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, that all things were created through this Word. And from an abstract idea of the Word, then in chapter 1, verse 14, we learn that the Word takes on a concrete form. The Word becomes flesh. The Word dwells among us. Of course, the Word is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, immediately after the prologue in the Gospel of John, Jesus is, is baptized. In essence, what Jesus does in His bapti- baptism is He is identified in the closest possible way with the people that He's come to save. And after His baptism, He turns water into wine. After He turns water into wine, He cleanses the temple. Chapter 3, He speaks to Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, and He speaks to Nicodemus about what it means to have new spiritual life breathed into a heart of a human being so that he's born from above or born again, the supernatural birth. And this morning, what we're going to look at in chapter 3, the latter part of chapter 3, I really want us to, to dive down deep into seeing what happens to an individual, to a person, to a man or a woman, when you begin to understand who this Jesus is who's come to save His people from His sin. What what happens to an individual when they receive the testimony of the Word become flesh? So our passage this morning that we're going to look at is John chapter 3, Verses 22 through the end of that chapter, it's printed for you in your bulletins. We're going to read that this morning. And let me pray even before we read our scripture. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And specifically, we do thank you this morning for the the word that is taken on flesh, who's dwelt among us, who's Come to save us from our sins. I pray this morning as we look closely at your word, that you would help us understand that that all things come from you. And that because all things come from you, we seek to live for you as Christians. Even as John the Baptist says in this passage, He, Jesus Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. Help us to understand this morning what it means to have life and have life abundantly. And we pray in the name of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's look at uh, beginning, verse 22, chapter 3, the Gospel of John. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. I realize in chapter 4, if you were to read on, you'd come to know that it's not actually Jesus that's baptizing, 
but it's his disciples are baptizing. So you have John the Baptist and his disciples, they're baptizing people. And then Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. Verse 23, John was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and they were being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John, his disciples, they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John the Baptist answers, he says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. He rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's John's answer to the concern of his disciples. And then John, the author, makes these comments about what John just said, or John the Baptist just said in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's Word. If you were to look at this passage uh, printed for you in uh, some of uh, certain translations of the Bible, you would, you would see that there's three sections in this passage. There's this first section that we read about John the Baptist's disciples expressing a concern to John the Baptist. It's found in verses 22 through 26. In the middle portion of this passage, you have John the Baptist's specific answer to his disciples' concerns. And then The end of our passage, where I broke it up even as I read, beginning in verse 31, most scholars believe that that, those last five or six verses is John the author's explanation of what John the Baptist just said. So we're going to look at it in somewhat that, those type of categories. So first of all, the setting, the situation, the context found in verse 22 through 26. Realize... They're in the countryside, there's plenty of water, and people are coming to be baptized. They're coming both to John the Baptist and his disciples, and they're going to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized. And while baptism has played an important part in our ceremony or in our service here this morning, realize this passage is not about baptism. As important as baptism is, you realize that it's not really about baptism because After John the Baptist's disciples have this conversation with this Jewish individual where they have been talking not about baptism, but about purification, about about what it means to be clean, ceremonial washings. Remember, if you remember some of the passages that we've talked about in the past, 
Um, it, it was very confusing in Jesus' day. A Gentile would come to be baptized if they wanted to be a Jew, but nobody really understood why a Jew needed to be baptized. So, so this Jewish person that comes to John the Baptist's disciples, he's probably concerned about what's going on. Maybe he's just confused because so many people are actually baptizing people. Really don't know the details involved with what John the Baptist's disciples talked to this Jew about. But what we do understand is that after the, the disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, have this conversation with this Jewish individual, they come back to John the Baptist. They've been reflecting on the growing popularity of Jesus, and they are concerned. They're concerned because Jesus' ministry seems to be attracting more people, and John the Baptist's disciples are becoming minimalized or marginalized. You know what? They're they're really coming to John the Baptist and saying, what if we don't matter anymore? Jesus has come along and more people are going over to Jesus' disciples and John the Baptist's disciples, they may not be seeing as many. They say, everyone is going. That's probably an exaggeration because in the beginning of our passage, not everybody's going to Jesus but more and more people are going to Jesus. And the question is, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a common human idea, is it not? What if we don't matter anymore? Or what if we matter less than we used to? That's the context. That's the situation. That's the big idea that's, that's running through this passage. And we get to see exactly how John the Baptist responds, right? John the Baptist really responds by saying two things, and the two things that he says are illustrated by this story. The story is about the bride, the groom, the best man in the context of a wedding. Really, John the Baptist says two things. He says, number one, no man can receive anything unless it's given to him by God. And then at the end of the passage, he says, he, meaning Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. So so think about that. The disciples are coming to John the Baptist. John John the Baptist's disciples are coming to John, and they're saying, hey, we don't seem to matter anymore. And John the Baptist says, we can only take what God has given us, and oh, by the way, he must increase, I must decrease. And the story, we'll talk, we'll talk about the, the illustration, the story of the groom, the bride, and the best man, because it, it's, it, it's a, a practical implication of, of the two things that he says. And, and you could explain this little parable that he says by a couple of questions. Everybody knows what a wedding's about, right? Who wants a best man who wants all the attention? Or you could say it like this. It would really be bad if the best man wanted the girl. That's the story that John the Baptist is using to back up his two points about his response to the concern of his disciples when they say, we don't seem to matter anymore. Because look, the the fact of the matter is Jesus Christ is the groom. He's coming to wed his wife, which is his people, which is the church, which is you and me. And John the Baptist says, I'm not Jesus. 
I am the best man. I'm not the groom. Because a good best man's going to be looking after the groom so that the groom can look after the bride so that the marriage can go in the way that it's supposed to go. In a sense, when you think about John the Baptist's answer to the concerns of his disciples, you realize that his disciples, they're, they kind of want to be Jesus, don't they? They kind of, in their, in their marginalization, they're realizing that they're not the Messiah. The Messiah is getting all the attention, and they don't really, or at least they're not very comfortable with it. I thought about this in terms of my own life. Sometimes I think that I'm Jesus. Or at least I think that I have what it takes to bring about my salvation in my own power. I know what I need to make sure that I'm happy. John says two things. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from above. And he, meaning Jesus Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. Let's look at the first thing. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from above. Everything that we are, we are because of God. Every the good and let me let me just the good and the bad. Everything that we are, we are because of God. So there's a difference between you and me and God. There is a distinction between the creator and the creation. And yes, we're created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we're all valuable. But we are not God. Paul says the same, things, same thing in 1 Corinthians 4 where he says, Who sees anything different in you? You remember that? You know what he's saying. There are all sorts of differences in you. You should be able to see them. But what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So anything good in us is a gift and we should be grateful. We can't be proud. And listen, even in the weaknesses that we have, they are given to us for a reason. We may not know what the reason is, but we can rest in the fact that God stands behind everything. And listen, be real clear. I'm not talking about God being the author of sin because he's not. But God does stand behind and over and against everything and everything that we are, the good and the bad. It's because that's the way God has ordained it for this moment. And when you understand that God is God and we are not, shouldn't we be able to at least relax a little bit? Rest a little bit? At least we shouldn't feel such an intense desire to have to pretend we're something that we're not. doesn't mean that we're passive, but, but maybe we should be a little bit more content because a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. I mean, th- that is a big deal. I have weaknesses. I have strengths. You have weaknesses. And you have strengths. And a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from above. 
So John the Baptist's disciples, they come to, come to John the Baptist and they say, Hey, John, we don't, we don't seem to matter like we used to. You know what John the Baptist says? Relax. Relax. That's the first thing that, that John the Baptist says. The second thing is, is much more powerful. It's actually much more astonishing. It's really, I know that John said some pretty powerful things. But on a horizontal level, at least, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, Jesus Christ must increase and I must decrease. Think of the implications of what John is saying there. Jesus must get big and I must get less. I was thinking about, and I have all sorts of illustrations and I don't have, I don't have time to use them this morning, but... Have any of you ever experienced a time in your life, whether it be at work, uh, whether it be with friends, whether it be just in your own homes, where you knew somebody was looking out after you And he or she was looking out after you so well that even if you made a mistake, they would cover it up for you. And it would be okay. You ever felt that feeling of knowing that somebody is there and they're going to take care of you? That's a pretty powerful feeling, right? Those of you who are married, what would happen if you went at your spouse with this kind of attitude that John the Baptist is talking about here. He or she must increase. I must decrease. And be real clear, I've been working on this sermon for a while and I've been repenting a lot because most of my conversations with Josie don't go this way. Whatever is best for you, honey, whatever it is that that God intends for you to do, I'm going to make sure that you flourish even if it costs me. It's a commitment, whatever I need to do so that you will succeed in what you were made for, I'm going to do everything that I can that, that, that will make that possible. All sorts of ways to illustrate this. I could, I could go to the workplace with, with bosses and employees, right? I mean, how you relate to your boss, how you relate to co-workers. Co, uh, I, could, I could go for those of you who are in school, regardless of how old you are. I could talk about this, this has implications for your, your relationship with your teacher or your relationship with your fellow students. And I almost didn't do this, but, but I, I want to do this. Let me illustrate this by bearing down on Young, single people. How do you go about developing relationships with the opposite sex? Do you go into a relationship with a boy or girl with a what's-in-it-for-me type attitude, or do you go in it with how can I help that other person flourish? What's in it for me, or what can I do to help that other person be whatever it is that God intended them to be? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very blunt here. I hope I can do this. I, I don't know. I, I, I guarantee you, if we had John the Baptist's attitude, when we related to people of the opposite sex before 
or during that relationship, if you said, they must increase, I must decrease, there would be a lot less sex before marriage in that relationship. Because you would be looking out for that other person, not looking out for yourself. At a very minimum, it sure would be a lot easier to get to know another person of the opposite sex if you went into that relationship looking out for them rather than looking out for you. I mean, I see it all the time um, on interpersonal relationships. We're so worried about ourselves, we misunderstand the other person, and we never do get together. What's in it for me? Or how do I help that other person flourish? You must increase even I have to, if I have to decrease. Do you realize, look, 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 let's look at the whole thing here. The freedom that John the Baptist is able to enjoy, knowing that God is the one who's placed him where he is, given him the gifts, even his weaknesses, for something bigger than himself, and then what it's like if you were to be able to spend time with people that were so concerned for you that you didn't have to worry about yourself at all. I, I think everybody yearns for that. I don't think there's any person in this building that doesn't want to experience that kind of relationship. And the only way, because all we've addressed here is the horizontal level, right? Realize that when John says what he says, he's talking about God in the person of Jesus Christ. He's talking first about his relationship with God. And from that understanding of his relationship with God, he can talk to his disciples the way he does on a horizontal level. Because the only way that you're going to experience that kind of power, the joy that's talked about in this passage, not only is John saying Jesus must increase, I must decrease, but he's really happy about it. The only way that you can experience that kind of joy, that kind of life, is it has to start from above, and that's what verses 31 through 36 is all about. Okay, let me explain it to you like this. If you look at 31 through 36, John the author is explaining what John the Baptist knows and believes and accepts to be true so that he can say the things that he says. So so here's the key right here in verses 31 through 36. John the Baptist is able to go to his disciples who are concerned about the fact that they may not matter anymore. What what if we don't matter anymore? And John the Baptist says, hey, look, we we can only receive whatever God gives us from above. And oh, by the way, what God's given us from above means that somebody else has to increase. I have to decrease. The way he says this comes from, the reason that he says this comes from the following verses. Let me just read it to you, and I'll make a few comments as we go through it. John the author says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus Christ was above and he's come down. right? And then he says, He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. It's not that being of the earth is bad. It's just limited. It's life at the horizontal level. It's kind of like, it's, it's like Ecclesiastes, life under the sun. It says, Jesus comes from heaven is above all, meaning there's more to life than what you can see. Verse 32, he, he, Jesus, bears witness to what he's seen and heard because Jesus is the one that's come from above. 
So Jesus bears witness to this reality that's above, and then he says, yet no one receives his testimony. Nobody is listening to him. Verse 33, but whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And Jesus utters the words of God because God the Father gives Jesus the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into Jesus' hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let me start at the end. What does it mean that the wrath of God will remain on you if you do not believe the Son? It sounds harsh, right? The wrath of God sounds harsh. Here's the point. And this is the point in this passage that enables John the Baptist to say what he says. If you do not see who Jesus is, if you do not understand what he's come to do, you are going to continue to work in your own power for meaning and significance. Relate it back to John the Baptist's disciples' question, what if we don't matter anymore? If they don't hear the response of John the Baptist that's based in what God has done in Jesus Christ, they're going to keep trying to matter in their own power. So if you don't see who Jesus is, if you don't understand what he's come to do, you're going to continue working in your own power, and you're going to continue to try to climb your way up to the top of the ladder, and as you're climbing your way up to the top of the ladder, you will, first of all, step on anybody who gets in your way. And not only that, so you'll destroy those relationships, and not only that, you will destroy yourself because what you are seeking for can't be had in this world alone, and whatever it is you end up getting, it will not last. That is the wrath of God. So if John the Baptist's disciples don't hear what John the Baptist is saying to them, they're going to go try to get this in their own power, and they're going to end up misleading people, hurting people, and they will experience the wrath of God. But on the other hand, if you see who God, if you see God for who He is, if you come to grips with the truth that God has come down in the person of Jesus Christ, if you receive his testimony, then eternal life is yours and there is no more wrath. And realize eternal life, folks, eternal life is not just life forever, but it's an abundant life here and now. It's joy. Doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's joy. Because everything comes from above. It's from God in the person of Jesus Christ that flows the energy, the power, the ability for you to live a life of significance. Because look, I mean, here it is. What if I don't matter anymore? The answer is you do. That's why God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Look, go go back. Look, Jesus is the one who utters the word of God. For God the Father gives Jesus the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Here's the point. Everything that Jesus has, if you receive His testimony, everything that Jesus has received from God the Father, He now gives to you. And by faith, The Spirit unites you to Jesus and all the treasures of God that have been given to Jesus are now yours. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to receive the testimony. 
And now all the treasures of Christ now reside in you. And if they reside in you, then you now have the power to say, let them increase. I can decrease. You realize the freedom that you have when you understand by receiving the testimony of Jesus Christ, the freedom that you have because by faith, God has given the treasures of Jesus to you and everything that Jesus has, you have. And now you can live your life here on earth in a way that matters. Because look, I mean, I hope you've seen it, right? Come on. Jesus decreased so that you and I would increase. That is the gospel. John the Baptist understands that he has to decrease so that Jesus Christ would increase because Jesus Christ, who's on the top, becomes man and he decreases to the point of death on the cross so that you won't have to. That's the gospel. I don't know about you, but I yearn for a community. I yearn this for myself. I yearn for this myself. I desire this for my wife and I and for my children. And the reason that I'm a pastor is because I yearn for this for you. That you would be so filled up with Jesus Christ and the treasures of God that you are now able to live your life for the well-being of something bigger than yourself. That's the gospel. Do you want to be able to say... Do you want to be able to relax and be able to say a person can only receive whatever is given from above? Do you want to accept and relax that so much so that you can now go live life in your families, live life at work, live life in the church, and live life out here saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that you are who God wants you to be. Do you realize the world will look at that and they will just be blown away? And let, let me put, let me, you got the bottle. I'm going to put the cap on the bottle because it's coming with the Lord's Supper. Do you know what we do? I'm kind of do, going to do the explanation here, okay? But do you know what we do at the Lord's Supper? We remember and we renew and we're able to see and to taste that Jesus Christ decreased so that we would be lifted up. That's what the supper is all about. So listen, if you're a believer here this morning, that means you yearn for this to some degree or another. That means that you've accepted this, that you've received the testimony of Jesus. And look, you may not have lived it out very well. In fact, we haven't. But if you've received the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Lord's table here is now for you so that you can come up and, and you can taste the body of Christ that was, that was put up on a cross for you, truly decreased for you so that you wouldn't die. 
And then you're going to take the juice or the wine and you're going to remember that Jesus really died and the blood was spilled so that you could be forgiven for all your, your fallenness and all your sin. And you can remember that Jesus decreased so that you would increase. And what happens is that becomes more and more a part of who we are. And as Jesus becomes more a part of who we are, then we're able to live it out in the world tomorrow. Come on, I, I, I don't know. I, I love this passage. And I'll tell you why I love this passage. Because I, I realize that I forget every day that I can only receive what is given to me from God and it's good. And then I always forget that I, I, I want to increase. I want to increase, but I don't want to be that man, and I don't have to be that man, and neither do you or woman, or right? Because God has done this for you, and that's what we celebrate around the table. By becoming less, you are more. I know families need that in this church. I know individuals need this in this church. And you know what? The world needs this. And until we live it out here, we have no business taking it out there. Let's pray. Hmm. Father in heaven, would you, would you help us to see Jesus Christ even as we come to this table? Would you, would you help us to see Jesus, the one who was God? The one who took on flesh, the one who decreased so that we could increase. Father, would we, would we ingest that this morning at the table? Would, would that be a, become more and more a part of our hearts so that we could, we could live for your glory? We could live loving other people, that we could um, be different in a world that needs Jesus Christ. How apparent that is. And yet, lest we forget, it's, it's important for us as individuals, it's important for us as a church, that you would increase and that we would decrease. Live in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.